Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. We're so glad you're here. James chapter 3 is where we're at this morning. Wise and otherwise. There are some times where we just really need God's wisdom right now. You ever been in that situation? <clears throat> we found ourselves in that situation in a doctor's office one time. Um, we had, I think, three or four of our kids there. And they had something going on, some rash or something like that. And we'd been in it there a couple of times with a couple of the kids, and they'd given them stuff for it, and nothing was working. Like, nothing fixed this. And so we're sitting there, and the doctor's like, well, hmm, I really don't know what this is. Um, I think we'll try this medication and this medication, although you're not supposed to mix them. And then he walks out of the room, and my wife looks at me, and she's like, we need to pray that God gives him wisdom right now. And so we, literally, all of us, we just started praying. And God, give that doctor wisdom, help him to know what the right treatment's going to be. And, and we said, amen, and the door opened, he's like, you know, I just had a thought. And he says, I think it could be something like this, it's something that doesn't really happen in Idaho usually. It's usually something in the Midwest this, this happens, but it could be that, so let's try. And so he gave us the right stuff, and it worked. You know, I just praise the Lord, right? I mean, it's like, man, oh, what joy we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It's true, actually. It's actually true. And so if you're able, will you stand with me? <clears throat> James chapter 3, we got down to verse 13 last time, and we did briefly cover verse 13, but we're going to start there. And James gives us the word of the Lord. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct <coughs> that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And Father, we thank you for this text, Lord, that speaks to us of your wisdom, something that we need so desperately. And I pray, Lord, as we look at this passage today, Lord, that you would speak to us by your Spirit, that you would give us wisdom and insight, Lord, that we would hear what your Spirit is speaking to us. That you change us, Lord. And Lord, that you would work among us, Lord. Helping us, convicting us, encouraging us, strengthening us for every good work in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> if you recall, James chapter 1 starts out where James is giving encouragement to a church that is scattered. A church that is under persecution. If you remember um, the biblical text, that there was a, a persecution that broke out early on in Jerusalem by none other than Saul of Tarsus, or what, what we would known as the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. But that at, at that time, he was not a Christian, did not love Christians. In fact, he was getting letters from the chief priests to go to Damascus to find Christians and to kill them. And so um, these Christians are scattered all over the Roman Empire 
running for their lives, displaced, confused, not knowing what to do. And, and James writes this letter of encouragement to them to remind them that God is in control. God's in control. And I think as we look at all the things that we're going through, and certainly we're not going through that much compared to what they were going through. Maybe some people in the inner cities are, but, but not us. I mean, maybe you fled here from California, as many of you did, or from Oregon or from Washington, and, and welcome. Here you are in a safe place, you know, Idaho, where sanity still prevails. <clears throat> no offense. But we see that these people are they're, they're trying to escape this and in need of, of some encouragement. So James gives them several things that he's going to encourage them. And he talks to them and talks to us about our faith, our ability and willingness to trust God at his word. And so he, first he tells them that, hey, trials, Consider it pure joy when you face these trials because the testing of your faith produces patience. In other words, if you learn to wait on the Lord, you learn by faith that God's going to come through for you, you have enduring faith, faith that waits for the Lord to come through even though things are going difficult in your life, even though you're going through trials or whatever. And then, <coughs> excuse me, and then he gives us something Actually, pretty amazing. James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, And if anyone lacks wisdom, anyone lacks wisdom, let him, <coughs> excuse me, let him ask God, who gives to everyone liberally and without reproach. In other words, he's going to pour wisdom upon you if you ask um, without being angry with you, without being frustrated with you. It's going to be given to you, but... There's, there's a, a, a caveat. Let him ask in faith with nothing doubting. For he who doubts is like a, wind, a wave tossed by the wind. Don't expect that man to receive any, will receive anything from the Lord. Um, he's unstable, right? He, he's not really putting his trust in God. He's kind of wishy-washy. And so we see this. Faith is important when it comes to this gift of faith. And, and then he goes on. He talks about um, we, we have to... We can't hold our faith with partiality, um, that we need to look at everybody the same. We can't have the, the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and treat people differently. Everyone is, is valuable. Everyone's important in the sight of God. And that true faith is active. That faith doesn't, that doesn't act is dead faith. And then last time we talked about the power of the tongue. And how foolishly we can speak and get ourselves in trouble, or tweet, or, or Facebook. How, how quickly we can get ourselves in trouble. But it, today he's going to end the chapter 3 as he wraps everything together. Faith, wisdom, works. And, and he's going to segue from the deadly and foolish tongue into the wisdom of God. And that's what we're looking at today. And so, verse 13, he asks the question, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. And so he starts out with this rhetorical question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, he's not asking for a show of hands. Oh, that's me, you know. <clears throat> in fact, I think if you raise your hand at that point, we'd be like, okay, let's um, go back to James chapter 1, verse 5. Who's really wise? And he's asking this question because he wants us to examine ourselves. See, it isn't a matter of some are wise and some 
otherwise, right? <laughs> he's not, as we saw in chapter 1, wisdom is available to anyone who's willing to humble themselves, if you lack, and ask God, <clears throat> he's going to give you faith, or give you wisdom by faith. So, so James isn't asking you for your IQ, He's not asking you for your track record on making good decisions versus your track record on making bad decisions. What he's saying is, are you operating in the wisdom of God or are you allowing your tongue to continue to cause damage to yourself? Are you causing your lack of wisdom to wreck and ruin your life? Or are you going to go to the source of wisdom? Are we just making decisions the same way that lost people are making decisions? Those who are headed for destruction, who don't know the Lord Jesus, who don't know what life really is all about, are we still making decisions in that way? Or are we truly getting our wisdom, our decision-making from God? It's kind of a sobering thought to think about. What, what drives me? What motivates me? What helps me to make my decisions in life? Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. Without him... We can do nothing. We actually need to believe that to head into every situation, every circumstance in our lives with the awareness of our lack and that we only are predisposed to make bad decisions or come up with the wrong answers in our old fallen nature. And that we need Jesus to be the source of life, the source of wisdom the source of spiritual nourishment for every decision and every action that we take. Paul would go as far as to say, um, I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20 tells us. That's, that's radical to think about. That Paul doesn't even consider his own life his own. That he's alive, but it's Christ. It's the wisdom of God and the life of God that's living through him by which he takes action, by which he moves forward in his life. And outside of that, there's no help. There's no benefit. Paul actually gives us some great insight into this in Colossians. When he tells us this, and this is his motivation for living that life, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, In whom, or actually in him, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In God, in Jesus Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, that's obvious when you look at Jesus' life. I mean, the man obviously walked in wisdom, walked in the knowledge of God. Of course, he was God in flesh. And every decision he made, everything he said is so right. 
I mean, it, it's amazing to me. Now, people, you know, they look at Christians and they say, I could never be a Christian because look at, you know, I know this guy and he's a jerk and I know that person and they cheated and I know this, you know, whatever. And, and I think that there's plenty of room to be found for fault in Christians because we oftentimes walk in the flesh and not in the spirit. We oftentimes make decisions according to our own knowledge and our own understanding rather than God's understanding. But if you put the magnifying glass on Jesus Christ and you look at the things that he said, you know, not many people can find fault with that. Not many people can find fault with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, he, he, as he spoke, he spoke pure wisdom. When people tried to trap him, to stump him, he quickly gave a beautiful and perfect answer. You know, so many times they came to him. They had that perfect trick, you know. And when they tried to stump Jesus, he just gave such a beautiful and perfect answer for every, every single thing that was brought to him. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you know what's beautiful is that he likes to share. He likes to share with you. It's all available to you. In Colossians chapter 2, going on, Paul would continue to say this. He'd say, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. And so he's, he's separating the difference between the, the principles of this world, the way that the world thinks, the direction that the world is headed, the way that the world is moving, and what seems logical to the world. He says there's a distinction between that and the logic and the, and the philosophy and the wisdom of Christ. And he says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. You're not complete in yourself. You're not, you're not complete in, in your ideas, in your um, philosophy, but it's in him that we become complete. It's in him that we find the source of all wisdom and knowledge, that we find the source of all nourishment so that we might bear good fruit. Outside of him, there's, there's really nothing. And, and that's what Paul is trying to tell us. And, and I think you see that as you look at the world. In Romans chapter 1, it tells us that men <clears throat> worship the creation rather than the creator. Right? Isn't that the way that it is? You know, you go to, you go to college, you spend a lot of money, and, and here's a professor, brilliant man, maybe a genius. You know, and, and what do they tell you? Well, we came from monkeys. Really? See, that's the best you, best you got? We came from monkeys? Uh, well, actually, we came from an amoeba. Even though it goes completely against science, we know from the second law of thermodynamics that things go from a, a state of order to chaos, not from, you know, nothingness to complexity. I mean, you think about the intricacies of your limbic system and your circulatory system and your nerves and, and all the different things that make up your brain and how complex that is. There is nothing in, in the universe that we know of that is more complex and more intricate and, and more designed than the human brain. I love the brain. I love to study about the brain. And I was listening to a course, one of the great courses on the human brain. And she spent an entire session, this lady, this professor who's super brilliant, 
an entire session trying to, to, to convince the class, even though this seems so intricately designed, we have to forget about that. We have to tell ourselves that this is just a, a random accident. Right. It's ridiculous. And yet, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that we were created by an intelligent creator and created in the image of God. Now, here's what's interesting. What does the Bible say about the nature of man? Though created in the image of God, man is fallen. That the world is under the sway of the devil and that we are his slaves, right? And you are deceitfully wicked above all things. Think about that. Does that ring true to you? <laughs> yeah, I have a pretty wicked heart. Man, I, I don't do the right things. In fact, oftentimes I get really angry. I say things I don't mean, or maybe I mean them, but I don't mean to say them. <laughs> because that would just show too much of what's in here, right? And what is, what is the philosophy? What does human wisdom say about man? Oh, man is basically good. Seriously? Have you looked at mankind? Man is basically good, whatever. The Bible says we're created in the image of God. Imagio Deo, the, the image of the God of the universe created us in his image. And, and yet man says we come from a monkey. So what are you? Imagio Deo or Imagio Monkey? Which one? It's, it's ridiculous. The basic principles of this world. <clears throat> Then notice what he says in chapter 3 of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, he, he tells us how, as Christians, understanding the philosophy of God, that God created us, that he loved us, that he's what satisfies us, what, he's what completes us. <clears throat> notice what he says. This is our instruction. He says, then if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I, I don't know if you've ever been in this place, and I think probably all of us have in that place where you're thinking, man, life is not worth living. I loved her and she dumped me. Or, or I thought he was the one who was going to satisfy me. Or my marriage is a mess. <clears throat> or I'm in financial trouble. Or something's going on and you're just like, life is not worth living. And, and you're, you're even th contemplating taking your own life. You're, you feel so depressed. Because something on this earth you found to be dissatisfying, and, and now because you're disappointed, because you're wrecked, you feel like, I just can't go on anymore. Did it ever occur to you that life might be about something other than what we pursue in this life? That in fact... The reality is, is that there is nothing in this life, as much as I yearn for it and seek for it and work for it and, and cheat for it and steal for it, manipulate for it, it's not going to satisfy. I, I don't know about you, but I, I remember before I was a Christian, like trying to fill that void with all kinds of stuff. Like if I could just have that girl or if I could just have that experience, or if I could just have that job or that car or whatever it might be, if I could just have that, then I would be happy. And what happened if you were cursed enough to get what you were yearning for? You found out, wait a minute, that didn't actually fill that hole. 
It, it just went into a black hole in my heart. And, and now, and it's almost as though the, the anticipation of getting it was better than the thing itself. Haven't you noticed that? How sad is that? You know, it doesn't take much to figure this out. Just watch the news. Well, don't watch the news right now. Because that's, you're just going to hear politics and COVID. But if you just watch the news in a normal day, you know, when things aren't crazy in the world, and you, you watch and you, you hear about this, the latest um, tragedy in Hollywood when, you know, this, this guy with his big mansion and his Ferrari and, you know, he's on his seventh marriage and he's now in rehab and, and, and he, he, he tried to kill himself. It's like, wait a minute, that's what I was going for. I was, you know, I want to have the Ferrari and the big house and the fame and the fortune. I, I thought that's what life was all about. And all those people are a wreck. It's like, what in the world? You know, I remember when Owen Wilson tried to kill himself. You know, that guy, he was, he's a comedian. You know, he seemed so happy. He had it all. Did he? Well, he was so happy in the movie. Oh, yeah, he was acting. He was acting like he was happy. Then he collected his paycheck and went home, and he was miserable. Why? Because he got everything he hoped for. Because life is not about that. It's not about stuff. It's not about possessions. It's not about any of those things. It's about God. And in fact, God uniquely and fearfully and wonderfully created you so that he is the only thing that can satisfy your soul. We are complete in him. Our life is hid with Christ in him. God God told the children of Israel, he says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants might live. For I, God said, am your life and your length of days. Nothing in this life satisfies Until you come to God, our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. I think it was Augustus said that. And isn't that true? We yearn, we steal, we pinch, we fight, we try to get what we can, grab all we can, because we, you know, YOLO, right? YOLO, you only live once. And how miserable we make ourselves. We tend not to look to God for wisdom. And that's why we find ourselves in so much self-inflicted trouble. Verse 13, he says in James 3, verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So in this verse, he ties together faith and works and wisdom. If I'm setting my mind on Christ... And abiding in him, seeing that he is my life, that in him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's going to show in the way that I live my life. I want to draw your attention to a word here. He says that, he says that your works are done in the meekness of wisdom. That word meekness, it's not the normal, um, you know, when Jesus said, you know, blessed are the meek. You know, th- this isn't that word. This is a different word. And this word, um, because meek means, the Greek, the Greek word in, in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, as well as the English word, meek means power under control. Meaning you have, it, it, the idea is a horse 
who is, was a stallion who's been broken, and now you put a bridle on him and a saddle on him, and you have him under your control. But he's all this powerful animal that could just bust out if he wanted to, but you have him under control. And that's the idea of meekness, his power under control. But this word actually has another element to it, which is humility. It's humility. Lowering of yourself. Putting yourself under. And he's saying, let him show by the meekness of wisdom. That brings us back to chapter 1. If any man lacks wisdom. What do we have to do to get this wisdom? We have to admit that we lack it. We have to admit that we're bankrupt. And the source of all my wisdom has to come from God because I need it. Otherwise, I'm found wanting. Otherwise, I'm empty. And there should be no pride or arrogance in wisdom that comes from God. James, no doubt, witnessed this as he grew up. You know, Jesus never got upset and threw something across the room. James was Jesus' little brother. Jesus never you know, said, fine, and went to his room and sulked. Jesus never cheated, never um, undermined his parents. You can imagine growing up with, with a brother like that and to watch him. It's like, wow, this, this guy. There's nobody like him. And I don't, I don't doubt that James is thinking about that when he says that his, his good conduct, that in his showing by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. There was nobody more humble, nobody more meek, power under control, than Jesus Christ. And yet, Jesus, again, he shares all of that with you if you're willing to open your heart and let him in. You know, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian here this morning, he, he, he desires to share his life with you. Verse 14, he says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. What does that mean? Well, the New Living Translation puts it this way. It might be a little clearer. He says, But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover it up. Don't cover the truth with boasting and lying. <laughs> is that what we do? Are you upset with me? No. No, it's good. It's good. I'm fine. We put on this arrogant face. We, we cover up how we feel. We lie to each other about what's really going on. And, and we're, we're seeking, secretly trying to figure out how we can get our way. We, we just do that. That's just the way we, we roll. I, I had a really interesting moment one time. Um, my wife decided, she'd been going through the way of agape, she decided that she was going to um, try her hand at submission. <laughs> we were newly married, we're probably <coughs> married like two years at the time, and she decided, okay, I'm just going to let Mike make the decisions, I'm going to come behind him and I'm going to try to support him. And um, I wasn't used to that. And so um, I remember we had some friends who said, hey, where do you guys want to go to dinner? And I, I'm looking at her, and I'm waiting for her to say Italian, because then I was going to come out with Mexican. And then I was going to fight until I got my way. So I looked at her, 
And she looked at me and said, what do you want to do, honey? It's up to you. I was like, I've never been here before. (laughs) Do you know what I said? Italian. (laughs) Why? Because I didn't feel like I was fighting her. And so my first thought was to give her what she wants. You know, it's such a different way to think, right? And it shouldn't take my wife to decide to be submission, submissive for me to always want to do what she wants to do. You know, there always, there's this motivation within our hearts just automatically to do what's best for me, what do I want? But her meekness and, and her, her submission made my heart change, had an effect on me. I mean, I learned later that I should just be that way anyway. But it's amazing how, how that works. <coughs> there are things, <coughs> or, hmm. what motivates the things that I say or the things that I do? Is it bitterness, jealousy, or selfish ambition? And we have to understand that this is the mode that we all naturally run in. <clears throat> am I covering up my true motives? Are my words or my actions a lie? A perfect example of this contrast is in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus, <clears throat> he asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? And, and of course, you know, the disciples start to throw out answers of who people have said that Jesus is. Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, and some I'm one of the prophets. <clears throat> but in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, it says, He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So this, this is interesting. It shows us this example of Peter who's not giving earthly wisdom, you know, which is what all the other people, you know, oh, it's, it must be one of these guys. But he gives something that was revealed to him by the Father, something by the Spirit of God spoken to his heart so he could hear the voice of the Father, you're the Son of God. Perfect example of heavenly wisdom. And this is where we're supposed to live as Christians, listening and receiving from heaven. Now, don't be confused by this. Because this isn't mean, and I think sometimes we think it means this. You need to study your Bible more. Or you need to memorize more scripture. Or you need to, you know, do your daily devotions. Or you need to say all your prayers. or, Or go to church. Or even share your faith with other people. That's not what this is talking about at all. In fact, I think we can be confused by those things because guess what? The people who live or who are in the cults, they do all that stuff apart from a relationship with God. What I'm talking about here is not, you know, getting the wisdom by memorizing the Bible. Certainly, it's wise to save your soul. But at the end of the day, it's about knowing God. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing 
God, knowing God through Jesus Christ. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Many will come in that day and say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these wonderful things in your name? And he will say to them, Depart from me who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. Wow. And so what place does Bible reading and prayer and church attendance and all those things play? It has nothing to do with your salvation. It has everything to do with your motives. And so when I read my Bible, am I, am I reading it just so I can say, oh, yeah, I read through the book of Genesis? Or am I actually opening my Bible because I know that it's living and powerful and that, that God speaks through it? And I'm, I'm opening my Bible to say, God, I need to hear from you. I want to know you more. And so I open up my Bible to know him and not just to know a book, but to have a relationship with him. Do I just say prayers at God? In Jesus' name, amen. Or, or, or do I actually talk to God and expect him to hear me and, and actually expect him to answer me and speak to me? Again, maybe through his word or maybe through that still small voice as he leads and guides me. Do I go to church just to check a religious box? Well, I went to church this week, so I'm, I'm good. Or, or do I go to church because I want to hear from God and because I want to be around people who love him and be encouraged by that? And do I share my faith because I'm supposed to? You know, I got my four spiritual laws. I did that. Okay, at least I'm a Christian who shares their faith. I, I gave them the word, way of the master. I, I had all the answers from Ray Comfort. Or, or, or do, I, do I share my faith because I'm in love with Jesus and I want other people to know him? See, our motivation is huge when it comes to all these things because it's easy as a Christian to go through the motions. It's easy as, as a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or, or a Catholic or, or, a, or a Baptist. It doesn't matter to go through the motions. But what God requires of us is that we might know him that we might have a relationship with him. He says, I am your life and length of days. It's born out of intimacy with him. Well, Peter did great at that moment. You know, yeah, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. But then it, it goes sorely wrong in verse 21, and, and it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, from the elders and the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and raised the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This, is not, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are offense an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What was Peter upset about? This was ruining his five-year plan. He was going to be the prime minister. He was going to be an important member of the cabinet of, of the Messiah who's going to be the king of the world. And he, he can't, you, know, you can't go to Jerusalem and be humiliated like that. Not, in my, not on my watch. He wasn't mindful of the things of God. He was thinking about himself. What do I want? And, and, and things were going off the rails in, in Peter's mind. And so... So often, that's the way we operate. Maybe one minute hearing from the Lord, and the next minute tweeting something we shouldn't be tweeting. Right? Verse 15, he says, This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. 
This isn't the will of God, the heart of God, or the love of God. It comes from the world. It comes from the flesh. It comes from the devil, earthly, sensual, demonic. What's motivating our speech or our actions? Is it considering the eternal kingdom, or am I thinking about my existence here on the earth? Am I, is my mindset on eternity and heaven, or is it, is it focused on what's happening here on the earth? Am I walking in the flesh to satisfy the lusts of my flesh? Is it sensual? Or am I walking in the spirit? What's the origin? Is this from God or is this demonic? Am I listening to God's voice or am I listening to the voice of the devil? Because the devil is always there saying to you, you shall not surely die. God is just withholding from you. All the good things in this life. Oh, this one little thing, it's not going to matter. You can say sorry later. The devil's always manipulating, always working us. And are we listening to his voice or are we listening to the voice of God? Verse 16, he says, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. We have to remember that James is writing to Christians when he says this. He's not writing to the heathen. You'd think that that's who he'd be writing to. You guys just think about the nastiness. You're a slug in the mud, you know. No, he's talking to Christians, born-again Christians. We still carry that old nature. We have to realize that the old nature is death. I, I don't know if you've ever felt like life was just really confusing and everything is just so frustrating. Nothing's working out the way that you wanted it to. That's what he's describing here, a life that's being lived by the principles of the world. You know, fighting to, to get what you want, the devil dangling some carrot of re, something ridiculous in front of you, saying, this is what life is about. And you're like, ah, oh, I want it. And maybe you get it, and you realize it's destroying you on the inside, and yet you're just like, my precious. You know, you're just like completely sick. You won't let go of the thing that's killing you. That's what we do. And yet, living in the place where God is your life, your provision, your peace, your satisfaction, you know that he satisfies you and blesses you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And some of us, we, we cycle between that and, and the other. <laughs> For a while, we're just really walking with the Lord and enjoying the blessings of the Lord and taking everything to him in prayer, and, and he's just working in our lives. And then, then we... We go off the rails, and we start to pursue the things of this world, and we kind of go back and forth and back and forth. Now, remember when you became a Christian, you exchanged your wrecked, messed up life for his abundant life, right? We said, I don't want to live for, for what I've been living for anymore. I don't want to live for my sin and for my selfishness. I want to I do what God wants me to do. And we exchange our life for his. And that's what the Christian life is supposed to be. So we have a choice. Where do we want to live, Christian? In the dark basement or in his glorious presence? In Romans chapter 8, it says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We have a choice. Proverbs chapter 12 verse or 14 verse 12 says there's a way that seems right to men but its end is the way of death. 
how many times have you done something you thought was the right thing to do? It just seems right. Everything seemed to be falling into place. It just seems like the right way to go. And it ended up falling all apart and causing all kinds of problems. Why didn't it work? We agonize over every decision, trying to weigh it all out, and exhausted and frustrating. Maybe we even use Benjamin Franklin's, you know, plan. Okay, write down all the positives in one column and all the negatives in the other column and see which one has more in it and go that way. That's an earthly way to think. Rather than saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I want you to listen to this, this next verse with fresh ears, because I know that you've heard it ad nauseum. You've heard it so many times that you probably just don't even think about what it means anymore. But it's, it's one of the most profound things that I think is sorely needed today. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, where it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. <clears throat> putting all of my confidence in him. And then he says, lean not on your own understanding. In fact, what I think is right and what seems right and what everything seems to be pointing in that direction naturally, I can't trust that. I can't lean on what I understand or what I know or what I think. I have to trust the Lord and I have to learn to follow his leading. It says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. See how simple that is? And this is what the Christian life is supposed to be about, just giving everything to the Lord. Oh, what joy we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It's in that relationship with Jesus that everything starts to make sense and everything seems to fall into place. Now, it doesn't matter about my outward circumstances because it doesn't matter what I'm going through on this earth or in the earth or my my flesh, what's going on with all of that, whether my flesh is being destroyed, (coughs) excuse me, or, or, or my life is falling apart, it would seem on the outside. When I have Christ, I realize that he's all I really need and he satisfies the soul. And so oftentimes, things will go great on the outside, and he'll take care of us, and he provides for all of our needs through his riches in Christ Jesus. But even if things (coughs) seem to be spiraling out of control in my life, if I have him, I have everything I need. He he keeps my mind set on on heavenly things. And now he describes, actually, I want to read this, Proverbs chapter 9. Verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It it starts with our fear of the Lord. Jesus said, Don't fear him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can cast both, both body and soul into hell. We don't want to be on the wrong side of God, right? And it's when we begin to realize God is just, and there is payment, there is punishment for sin. I can decide whether or not my punishment for my sin to be on his son, Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me, or whether I want to be responsible for it for myself. And that's why Jesus came to die for your sins and to give you new life. 
And so now he describes the wisdom that's from above. In verse 17, he says, but the wisdom that is from above, <clears throat> this is when we get our wisdom from God, it's first pure. I, I love this Greek word. It means not political. Isn't that awesome? It's not Democrat. It's not Republican. It's not independent. It's not libertarian. It's pure. It means free from impurity, sincere. It doesn't come from wrong motives. And so much of politics does, right? It's peaceable, then peaceable. It's peacemaking. It, it doesn't cause a fight. <laughs> if your Christianity causes a fight on Facebook or in the church or in your family, you, you have to ask yourself that question. What's the source of that? Is it earthly, sensual, or demonic? If I'm just stirring up trouble and people and offending people and making everybody angry on purpose, if I'm fighting with people, now if I post a Bible verse and people attack me, then I guess that's when I decide how I'm going to respond to that. But the reality is, is we have to think, is my motives earthly wisdom, sensual wisdom, or demonic wisdom? Because those are the choices if I'm just causing fights. The servant of the Lord, Paul told Timothy, must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, willing to teach, patient. And why are we, why are we patient? Because we're hoping that the Lord would grant the non-believer repentance so they might escape the snare of the devil who's, <coughs> who's brought them captive. They become his captive, his slave, to do his will. And so I'm realizing that this isn't a battle of flesh and blood. This isn't about me being smarter than everybody because I can be dead right, right? I'm so right that I'm dead right. I'm not, I'm not helping anybody. I'm just pushing people away. <clears throat> Jesus brings peace with man. Remember, the, the angel actually proclaimed that at his birth. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Jesus has goodwill towards you. Jesus has goodwill towards your neighbor. You know the one whose dog pooped on your yard? The one who hasn't cut his lawn in five weeks and looks like a jungle? The one who has that pile of junk? The one who got all upset when your dog pooped on his yard? God has goodwill towards that person. He sent his only son to die on the cross for that person. He loves them. He loves them so much you can't even, can't even imagine they're not a Christian, obviously. Well, you are, obviously. Right? I mean, it's amazing how quickly we get irritated with people, and, and yet wisdom that's from above is, is, is peaceful, gentle. You know, Jesus could sit with tax collectors and sinners and tell them to turn from their sin <clears throat> without causing them to riot. There was something about him, some kind of love, some kind of Holy Spirit that was just so attractive to the sinner. And that's what we need, wisdom that's from above, that, that <clears throat> exudes that, that love and that gentleness. <clears throat> they could see that God was gracious. You know who was angry with Jesus was the religious people. <clears throat> They, they didn't like Jesus because, <laughs> because he was so gracious. Think about that in your own life. 
In Proverbs, it, it, it's in Proverbs chapter eight. There's this um, personification of given to wisdom, and it's it kind of separates God from His wisdom in a sense, and and maybe it's speaking of Jesus in in some sort of way. But um, it really reveals God's heart. And this is what it says in Proverbs chapter eight, verse thirty and thirty-one. It says, "Then I was beside him as a master craftsman." This is wisdom speaking. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world. And my delight was in the sons of men. Do you realize today that God's delight is in you? God's delighted when he thinks about you. He's delighted. And he's delighted when he thinks about your neighbor and and the potential of that person coming to know him. That's what, he, that's what keeps him going, is his thoughts towards you for good and not for harm. And that's why the wisdom loves God, loves his neighbor, no matter who he is, and seeks to win him over through gentleness, through peacemaking, willing to yield. It's compliant. It doesn't, it doesn't dig in its heels. I think it's compliant <clears throat> towards God, but also compliant towards people. It's not going to dig in and say, you know, no, my way or the highway. Don't you hate it when there's a debate and, like, both parties are just yelling at each other and you never get to hear anything that was said? I don't know that we can imagine a scenario like that. But, um, <laughs> but isn't that frustrating? <clears throat> this... this type of wisdom gives people a chance to talk. You don't realize that people don't want to hear what you have to say until they feel heard themselves. You know, and, and it's that idea of being seen, heard, and valued that opens a door for them to be able to speak, for you to speak into their life. It's willing to yield. <clears throat> Yielding to God first. Listening to what God's telling you to do. You know, when I'm, in, when I'm counseling a couple... My biggest mistake that I ever make is when I sit down with them. I already kind of know the backstory a little bit. And so I think, oh, I've done this before. Okay, I know what to say. I don't know anything. And the second I think I know what to say and I start to spill out something God gave me for somebody else onto them, it's a, it's a train wreck. You're cleaning up that mess for years. And so when I sit down with somebody... <clears throat> I don't, I don't presuppose anything. I just say, Lord, you know what this person needs. Will you show me? And it, is, it amazes me the things that come out of my mouth, the things that I'll say to them, and I'll be thinking, man, I need to do that in my own marriage. <laughs> you know? It's like this wisdom comes out. It's usually for me, too. <clears throat> Full of mercy. I, I love the, the story <clears throat> Excuse me, of the woman caught in adultery in the very act. Remember that? They brought her to Jesus. All the guys are coming out, and Jesus is standing there, and like, this one was caught in adultery in the very act. And, and what, should, what should we do? They knew that if they said, if he said, you know, the, the law says stoner. Moses says stoner. Throw rocks at her. Kill her. <clears throat> Put her to death. That he would be breaking Roman law. But if he said, let her go, <coughs> show her mercy, then he would be breaking Jewish law. So they had him to rights. <clears throat> so Jesus stands up. He says, let he who is among you who has no sin cast the first stone. Wow, wisdom. And he gets down, he starts writing in the dirt. What was he writing? <laughs> Judah. And then the girl's name. That, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it says from, <clears throat> from the oldest to youngest. 
they dropped their stones and walked away. And then Jesus is standing there just with this woman by herself. And he looks at her and says, woman, where are your accusers? You see, it took two or three witnesses to condemn her. She said, there are none, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Mercy. Mercy. Not giving someone <clears throat> what you feel they deserve in terms of punishment. We get mercy from God. He doesn't give us what we deserve, which is hell, which is eternal separation from him. He gives us mercy. He saves us from our sins. He gives us grace. He gives us eternal life. He gives us what we don't deserve. <clears throat> Matthew 5, 7. This is blessed are the merciful. <coughs> Excuse me. For they shall obtain mercy. We always have to ask ourselves, did Jesus die for that sin that they committed against me? Okay, I'll let him off this time. All right, we just, we just have to yield to that. Jesus died for it. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it's possible, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, <clears throat> but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When somebody harms you, when somebody does something mean to you, look for an opportunity to bless them. Does that go, is that human wisdom? <laughs> no. <clears throat> that goes against everything in us, doesn't it? And yet, what is amazing to me, and you just look at God's wisdom versus human wisdom, <clears throat> human wisdom is, they did it to me, they deserve it back. You know what's interesting about the human nature is that when somebody does one back to me, I feel good about what I did to them in the first place. Now I'm justified. Well, see, I did it because they're a jerk. Did you see what they did back to me? Because everybody knows that you shouldn't do that, right? But what happens when you're rude to somebody and they're kind to you back? Or they do something nice for you, they bake you a cake, man, I'm a jerk. Now, all of a sudden, I feel bad about what I did because they did something nice for me. No way to dump coals of fire on somebody's head to get them back than to do something nice for them because then they don't have any recourse. It's kind of beautiful. It's poetic. Let God deal with it. God, you deal with them. How does God deal with them? According to his mercy, just the same way he dealt with them, you according to his mercy. And good fruits. Remember, he is the vine. He's the source of all good fruit that comes from our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. Without partiality. <coughs> so not showing favoritism, just like we saw in chapter 2. Don't hold the, the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Don't treat people differently because of whatever makes people different. Treat everyone the same without hypocrisy. This is God's wisdom. God's wisdom isn't fake. It doesn't put on a show. The word hypocrisy means to wear a mask. God's wisdom makes us take off the mask, to be honest with people, to be gentle with people. Verse 18, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do you want to have a life that brings the peace of God to those around you? <clears throat> Do you want to have a life that bears good fruit? What is the fruit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. 
against those things, there is no law, right? Do you want to bear good fruit? James has brought everything that he's talked about into one beautiful little package. And what does he call it? He calls it the wisdom of God. And that's available through a relationship with God. Act now, and you can have all these things. How much does it cost, you ask? Well, let me tell you, it costs everything, which is actually nothing. It means I have to lay down all of my wisdom, which isn't (laughs) wisdom at all. It means I have to give up my life, which doesn't belong to me anyway. It belongs to the devil. It means I have to exchange what I am for what he is. My wrecked, miserable, selfish, horrible life for his abundant fulfilling, joyful life. It's a beautiful exchange. It's what it costs us. It's easy, but it's hard. We don't want to die. We don't want to be crucified with Christ. And yet that's the only way. It's the only way to say, God, whatever you want in my life, that's what I want. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave and conquered death. And you did that for me so that I could have life. And so I want to follow you and put my trust in you. And maybe you've already made that decision. Maybe you've already accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe your life belongs to him, but you still find yourself in the misty lowland where there is no water. (laughs) There's no peace. Stop digging in the dirt for wisdom and start looking to heaven. And asking God to guide and direct your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in everything that you do, and he will lead you with his wisdom, with his grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. It's certainly refreshing to our soul, our weary and thirsty souls. It's perfect, converting our souls. Your word is wise. Your word is powerful, making wise, the simple, and that's who we are. We're we're simple, Lord, and we're sinful, and we need your grace. We need your forgiveness, and so we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would just help us to take our eyes off the earthly things, off the fleshly things, even off the demonic things, and start to fix our gaze on you, to look unto you, Lord, the one who authored, the one who finishes our faith, the one who died on the cross for us and rose from the grave, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, who washed us and cleansed us in your blood. When you died for us, Lord, you cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Lord, help us not to live in that place anymore. Help us to set our mind on you, fix our eyes on you, on things above. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me?